This audio drama contains themes and descriptions some listeners may find disturbing. Content warnings for all episodes are available in the show description. This is Fucked Up Bedtime Stories for Adults, a series of short stories produced by English Touring Theatre. Draw the curtains, turn off the lights, and let us take you down the dark alleyways of your mind. The Ground Floor by Anthony Nielsen The house is too big for me For any one person It's my mother's house And it was her mother's before her The only thing she owns of any value How often I begged her to sell it to relieve her finances But no She'd as soon have sold her soul. Ironic, then, that when the virus came, she was quick enough to leave it. She went straight away to Cornwall to live with the man she only ever refers to as her friend. I'm not sure why she maintains this charade. Perhaps she thinks I want her to stay faithful to my father, who died more than 15 years ago with no discernible loss to my well-being. The truth is... I'm abundantly grateful for anyone who can draw the fire of my mother's neuroses. If she were here now, in this house, with me, I would long ago have lost any sense of my own shape, like watercolour paint bleeding out past the lines of its subject. I am only here, now, alone, because my already strained marriage was too depleted to withstand the rigours of the lockdown. Within three weeks of imposed isolation, with only rage and small talk between us, it became abundantly clear that we had each become quite monstrous to the other, and as my partner had nowhere else to go, it fell to me to vacate our jointly-owned home and come here, to this mausoleum in the leafy north of the city. The house has three floors. On the ground floor, where my mother lives, the main door opens onto the tiled entrance hall. As on every floor, the rooms are arranged around the perimeter, so each floor gives a clear view down to the foyer. A wide staircase climbs up to the first floor, where the landing is carpeted, and then continues up to the second and uppermost floor, taking the thick, dirty cream carpet with it. As my mother had stipulated that I should not sleep in her bed, the thought of which is repellent to me anyway, the only bedroom available was on this second floor, and this is where I have lived these past few months. As instructed by the government, I have only ventured outside the house for groceries and the occasional walk. I used the kitchen on the ground floor and the laundry room on the first, but otherwise I have confined myself to the top floor, like some kind of mountain hermit. At first, I rather enjoyed the sense of space, the emptiness, the silence. Even were the house not so secluded, there was no traffic on the streets, no planes flying overhead, no sounds to even be carried on the breeze. When I left my bedroom and followed the banister round to the bathroom on the opposite side, the thick carpet muffled my footsteps. Sometimes I would lean over that banister and drop something, a penny, a button, a bottle top, all the way down to the tiled entrance hall, just to hear its sharp report echo through the house. 
Mindful of my mother's finances, I was diligent in keeping the lights off at night. The skylight in the roof provided enough moonlight for any nocturnal visits to the toilet, though I'll confess that I began to feel uneasy with the shadows. I remembered myself as a child, forcing myself to walk steadily down the darkened hallway of our family home, fiercely resisting the urge to run. Darkness is like silence. You fill it with your fears. I couldn't say that I enjoyed those first few weeks of the lockdown. I was wrestling with the failure of my marriage and often despairing of my uncertain future. But there was some perverse comfort in knowing that the entire world was sharing in my sense of estrangement and discombobulation. I was at both my loneliest and my least alone. I could hardly have imagined stranger times. And yet events far stranger were soon to occur. My first inkling of this occurred in the dead of night. I woke from sleep, certain that I had heard a noise from outside my room. With all the lights out, I knew that the house must look quite empty from the outside, and therefore inviting to thieves. I opened my room door with agonising stealth and walked softly towards the banister, where I could get a good vantage point over the ground floor. To my consternation, however, I could see no detail of that tiled entrance hall. It was entirely shrouded in darkness. I could see the middle floor and the stairs leading down from there, but at some point near their end, they vanished into a blackness thick as oil. Confused, I looked to the skylight above me, thinking that perhaps it was too cloudy a night, but no. The sky was clear and the moon right and half full. And yet somehow, the moonlight was not reaching the ground floor. I wondered then if what I was noticing was the sudden absence of a light source that I had overlooked all this time. I could not think what that source would be, but I resolved to investigate further in the light of day. And so, with reason restored and having heard no further noises, I returned to my room and went quickly back to sleep. I woke hours later, my cheek warm from the rising summer sun. I left my room to go for my morning shower, and on the way, quite routinely, glanced down to the foyer again to check if any mail had been dropped through the door. But what I saw instead, or rather what I didn't see, jolted me as violently as if i touched a live electric wire. I could not see the ground floor. It was still shrouded in darkness. My mind rebelled against my senses. Was it still night? No, I knew very well it was not. Then was I dreaming? Was I still in my bed, asleep and dreaming? But I knew I was not dreaming. Whatever was happening had no obvious explanation, but as a creature of reason, I knew there must be an explanation, and likely a mundane one, if only I could set my fear aside to think on it. Heart quaking, I forced myself to look down again, hoping that I would see something different, that I would see the tiled floor again as usual, and the light cast across it through the glass panels in the door, and the harsh scrub of the welcome mat at its foot, and the coat stand to its right. But there was no change. I saw only that deep, terrible darkness. I felt a wave of vertigo, as if the house was now a tower, hundreds of feet in height, and I was on the precipice of an infinite chasm. And this thought led to another. I hurried back to my room and found a silver coin, which I dropped from the landing as I had done so many times before. A sharp clack of it landing on the tiles rang through the house as it always had. Oh, I felt almost euphoric. 
I could not see the ground floor, but at least it was still there. I felt foolish that I thought it might not be. The next step was clear. I would have to go down there towards the darkness. Perhaps it was just some strange phenomena of refraction, and as I approached the ground floor, it would all come back into view. I dressed myself properly and tightly laced my shoes, and remembered how, as a child, I thought simply pulling the blanket over my head would protect me from monsters. How little we travel from the cradle to the grave. I took a moment to gird myself and set off down the stairs. Even in the light, I walked cautiously to the middle floor, keeping my eyes on the darkness below. It remained consistent in its density, and I had no sense of a change in my angle of view, even as I moved around it and downwards. I stopped to blink now and then, just to prevent a sense of nausea, and too soon I had arrived at the top of the last flight of stairs. I knew there could be no more than thirty steps to the ground floor, but I could see no end to them, and still not the merest nuance in the dark. I won't lie, I had a powerful urge to double back there and then. It was my child self that forced me on. You'll never be a grown-up if you can't face the dark, it said. Be brave. Be brave. I took those last steps with special deliberation. I did not stumble. The void was ahead of me until it wasn't. My impression, in hindsight, is not that I descended into the darkness, but that the darkness rose up to me, like some creature from the sea, and took me in one gulp. Think now of the darkest place you've ever been. Even there, I wager your eye found light eventually, if only a sliver. But here, there was none. I could feel my retinas bulge, hungry for even a scrap of gradation in the all-consuming blackness, and then I felt them surrender in defeat, as if my eyes had turned to glass. My brain struggled likewise for the rational, perhaps I had been struck inexplicably blind. I thrust my arms out ahead of me, expecting to feel the wall I knew should be close, but there was no wall nor any solid object I could reach. I could see nothing of myself. I had no concept of either direction or dimension, and my stomach pitched again as if seasick. I swear that I felt then, imbalanced as I was, that I had fallen face first, and I remember waiting in that stretched moment for the inevitable impact to my head as I struck the floor, but there was no impact. Either I had not fallen, or my fall was never-ending. I could have been upside down for all the sense my senses made. It occurred to me then that I might simply have died. That something swift and terrible had happened to me, a massive heart attack or embolism, and that now I was in a state of death or dying? It seemed not just plausible, but likely. Wasn't this exactly how death would be? And I felt a strange comfort in that thought. After all, what was worse than death? And now it was behind me, and not half as bad as I'd feared. Now I have died, I remember thinking, I can get on with my life. And it was the sheer idiocy of that thought that shocked me back to what passed as reality. I knew then that I was not dead, that there was indeed worse than death, and whatever that was, it was happening to me. Some other kind of annihilation in which one lives forever with no hope of escape. I felt the darkness flood my lungs, and I gasped impotently like a seagull in an oil spill. And when I caught my breath again, I felt changed somehow, as if I was done with air and would, would breathe only darkness going forward. Now, I would need this darkness to live, and all I would see would be the opposite of seeing, and all I would hear would be my own tortured groans, which were deafening now, pounding in my ears, and yet somehow distant, 
apart from me as if as if as if they were not mine and then I knew and with the knowledge came a terror so intense as to be almost transcendent I was not alone here there were others in the dark and then I realized what I was hearing it had never been just me, just my voice, but a hundred, a thousand, a million voices. A fathomless symphony of pain and rage and despair all around me. And as I focused, I could hear each voice in turn. Here were the cries of a mother who had seen her children butchered. Here were the screams of her children as they died. Here were the howls of dogs skinned alive. Here were the wrecked sobs of grief and the hoarse bellows of vengeance that made up all the misery of mankind. I knew then there were no limits to this darkness and no number to the people here with me. And now I could feel them cram against me shoulder to shoulder. I could feel the heat of their breath on my skin and felt their bones judge sharply against me in defiance of anatomy, as if their torment had transformed them into something other than human, something more terrible than my mind could contain. And, and I knew that if I stayed here, if I did not escape this space, the same would become of me. I'm screaming now myself in horror and defiance and barging between them, clambering over them, crawling beneath them. And as I did, I found at least some path, some direction. I had no idea if I was heading away from the horde or ever deeper into their midst, but any path was better than none. I cannot tell you how long I struggled through them. Time had lost all meaning. But as suddenly as the darkness has swallowed me, it sicked me back up onto the stairs of my mother's house, back into the light of that clear summer day. Oh, I will not even try to describe the relief I felt simply to see my own body again, my legs, my hands. I used them all to propel myself with unnatural speed back up the stairs to the top floor where I scrambled back into my room and slammed the door behind me and piled every bit of furniture there and against it, praying that nothing had followed me out of the darkness. I did not leave that room even once in the following week. I will leave you to imagine what that entailed. I spent most of it lapsing in and out of thankfully dreamless sleep, Though it was less like sleeping than shutting down, as if someone had a trip switch in my brain. It was only intense hunger that forced me out. And that was only days ago? I can't say how many. My sense of time has not returned. I walked to the banister again that day, hoping against hope that the darkness had cleared, that I would be able to leave this house for good. But the darkness hadn't cleared. It had risen. The first floor, the floor below mine, was now a black void, where no light survived. I fell to my knees on seeing this, and wept for my very soul. The darkness has risen several inches every day since, as if the house were a ship sinking by increments. My guess is that it'll reach my floor within a week. The only way out is through the windows, but it's a long way down, 80 feet or so. And not to soil, but concrete. There's a flimsy drain pipe that I might be able to reach near the bathroom window, but I can't see it holding me, despite my dramatic weight loss. And I am weaker and more brittle by the day. I wonder sometimes where this darkness came from. Is it in every house, or only here? 
and if only here, is this the first time, or has it been here before? Has my mother seen it too? Has she lived with it all these years? So many questions. I will hate to die not knowing. But I will not just sit here, you can be sure of that. I will not just wait to let it take me. If it comes to it, I'll jump and take my chances. Better to die in the light than live in the darkness. Wish me luck, whoever you are. And tell my wife she's a bitch. Story read by Papa Esiadu. Directed by Jennifer Baxt. Music, sound and editing by Max Pappenheim.